Not That German is a fun, insightful movie discussion podcast that may not be suitable for all listeners. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Meine Damen und Herren and everyone else, welcome to a Not That German, Not That Minisode with me, Al J. Nound. Adam Bento is out for the day, and when the German native speaker can't be here but the neurodivergent American can be, what better way to use the resources available to us than to skip all the talk of old Hollywood and move straight on to discussing German words, phrases, and wasnischt? That last one's probably not right. Our regular programming will return soon. But for now, let's get German, y'all. Erklärungsnot. Not a phrase this time, but a word. A long word. A German compound word. Erklärungsnot. The first chunk of this, Erklärung, means explanation. The second chunk, Not, does not mean not. Trust me, this still gets me every time I see it. Notfall is not a fall. Notdots does not a doctor. It's a word that I have to reconfigure in my brain every time I see it. Because not is not not. Not is related to an emergency. That means notfall is an emergency. Notarzt is an emergency doctor. Or, in other words, a paramedic. And, ultimately, Erklärungsnot is an explanation emergency. Also described as explanation poverty, it describes when you can't explain away or excuse something you did. It's not just that you can't talk your way out of a situation, it's that there's really no way to justify or clarify whatever happened. It can be big things or small things. Not doing your homework or, say, vetoing gun legislation after a school shooting. In an Erklärungsnot, no one believes you when you say your dog ate your homework, and no one believes you when you say you can explain. There's no way you can explain this. That's an Erklärungsnot. We've all had times where we wish we could explain something but couldn't. That's not to diminish serious incidents, that's just to remind us that we've all been in these situations. Either it's a legal, moral, ethical fuck-up, or just mega-cringe. It's happened to the best of us. And I am certainly not the best of us. Once, when I was a teenager, I was driving home from a friend's place, and I saw someone walking out of the neighborhood. It was an okay area, but still, it was getting dark. So I pulled up and asked the 20-something woman if she needed a ride anywhere. She said no, and I said okay, and I drove off. I was trying to be helpful. Not saving a damsel in distress, but I wasn't paying for gas, and I'd just seen the movie Pay It Forward some time earlier, so I was happy to try and be helpful. 
It wasn't until the next day that I realized how creepy what I'd done must have been. I was thinking, it's getting dark, I should offer her a ride before some creep bothers her. And then I realized I was the creep offering her a ride as it got dark. I was probably 16, I should have known better, but I fucked up. I goofed, and I wish I could have apologized to her, not just for bothering her, but for probably bringing up that shock, that sense of fear that can happen when you're a woman and a car slows down next to you at night. I got it a day later, I get it now, well, as much as a male can understand it. It's empathy, not sympathy, but it's still hella pathos, and I wish I could explain myself, but I understand there's nothing I could say even if I saw her again. I feel bad because of what I did. I feel bad because there's no real way to explain myself that a stranger would believe. I feel bad because of this Erklärungsnot. Now, I'm a writer by trade and by dream, but I'm not one of those assholes who drones on and on and on about the novel he's crafting. I'm not that guy who, whatever you say, it somehow reminds him of his novel. Oh, you didn't know I was writing a novel? Well, let me tell you about it. No, that's not me. I'm one of those assholes who won't shut up about his podcast. But hey, I've gotten pretty boring since the pandemic, and we have no marketing budget, so that's the only way to spread the word. I'm on Bumble for love and listens. That's my excuse. I don't have an Erklärungsnot about the podcast I won't shut up about. I do, however, have an Erklärungsnot about what came before the podcast. My musical. Now, I call it a musical, but I know that's not quite right. I can't compose music, so it's only lyrics, which is just half of a musical, or a third, depending on how much choreo you include. But I don't have a lot in life, and I call it a musical on my CV to help me think I'll get unattainable jobs I'm overqualified for, so just let me have this. But I digress. Many years ago... I would go to the university campus center to write these lyrics because I didn't have access to the uni Wi-Fi yet, so it kept me from distractions like watching movies or playing games. And in this campus center, there were a couple rows of tables. And every day, I would go to this campus center and I would sit in the same chair at the same table at one end of the long row of tables, partly because that chair didn't make a fart sound when you moved, and partly from some mental illness-related needs for feeling safe in the security of repetition that I really need to dive into in therapy. And every day I would sit and write. And when I couldn't find a word, or I was playing with a rhyme, or figuring out how to make the next stanza historically accurate, because, yeah, it was that kind of musical, I would look up. And because of my own physiology, I would give a bit of a thousand-yard stare a few degrees to the left, and I would almost silently try out the words and see how the sounds fit in my mouth. I know that sounds weird. It's hard to explain if you don't have my kind of neurodivergence. Or maybe that's just what all the great lyricists do, and I'm a genius after all. The jury's still out. And I would do this from one corner of the rows of tables. And not every day, but some days, a friend of a friend would sit at the diagonal opposite corner with some group of people. Now, I'd met this friend once. She was going with our mutual friend to an anti-fascist demonstration, and I was trying to get home before my tub of ice cream melted. But we never really talked. We'd met briefly, and that was it. I would have liked to get to know her more, but I was young enough that I wanted to get to know everyone more. 
I mean, this was the same time I went undercover with a bunch of right-wing extremists because I saw the potential for a short story there. But that's not the point. The point is, when she and her group of whomever sat where they always sat, and when I sat where I always sat, when I looked up and mouthed some rhymes, I wasn't looking at anyone, but it looked pretty clearly like I was staring at her. The first time it happened, eh, whatever, people zone out, it's not a big deal. But I always look to the left when I zone out, no matter where I'm sitting and no matter who or what is theoretically in my eyeline. So I always sat in the same spot and did the same thing. And she always sat in the same spot and saw what appeared to be a guy sitting alone staring at her from across the campus center, whispering something under his breath like fucking Snape trying to countercharm the rogue bludger. After like the third time, there's nothing you can say. You can't walk up to someone you met once and say, Hey, I promise I'm not staring at you. I'm just zoning out and we always sit in the same spots. There's nothing I can say to make this better. I could move, and eventually I did. I stopped sitting there. But I was always the guy who had that whispering stare. Once I was walking across campus when I got that sixth sense of someone's eyes on me. And I turned and saw her and a couple of guys looking clearly and directly at me. She was saying something to them, looking at me, almost glaring at me. I can only imagine she was saying something along the lines of, There's that creep I told you about. There was nothing I could do but hope we never crossed paths so I wouldn't make her uncomfortable. Well, that's not true. A few years later, when I wrote a play for the student theater troupe, I included a funny scene of a guy who stares off into the distance when he writes. Yeah, it was that kind of play. And someone thinks he's staring at her, and it's all played for laughs. I needed that kind of conflict in the scene, so it worked. But I also thought, hey, our mutual friend has gone to see all the student theater shows in the past. Maybe she'll come see this too. And maybe she'll bring her friend, my friend of a friend. And maybe she'll see this scene, and that will explain everything. And she'll understand that it was all just awkward shenanigans, and we'll laugh it off and move on like adults. And on opening night, about five minutes before curtain, I realized it wouldn't look that way to the friend of a friend. To her, it would look like I wrote about that time I was a total creep and included the person I was a creep to in my story. Yeah. I don't get stage fright, but for that show and for that reason, I did. I still performed. I didn't even play that character who zoned out on stage. I didn't write the lead role for myself. I played the buffoonish bestie. But I had that anxiety. I had that fear, that discomfort, knowing that for me. This was peak Erklärungsnot. I have no idea if she saw the play or not. That's the context for why that happened. No context will fix the cringe between myself and that individual. But now you... Dear listener, you of the hundreds or thousands or billions across the galaxy who tune in every week, you now have the context to make this Erklärungsnot a little less of an Erklärungsnot. Which I guess in a way makes it not a true Erklärungsnot. Context makes it better. The same way when I worked in the movie theater as a teen, I was told to clean a display case, but I didn't. And the reason why was that I was working alone and had no time to clean it and sell tickets and prepare concessions and sell said concessions. 
Context made it clear I wasn't doing it out of laziness or despite the assistant manager or some other inexcusable reason for shittetry. For it to be a true Erklärungsnot, no context can make it better. There is no explanation that can justify what we see before us. Take masks, for example. Yeah, I'm talking about face masks, because we still need to wear face masks, because not enough people wore face masks. Where I live, masks aren't required indoors anymore. Not that that rule was ever enforced, I had to just try the opposite of smize at assholes coughing on the produce. But they're not required now, and even though I still wear one indoors, all I can do is judge people who took them off as soon as the requirement was lifted. Selfish people who didn't consider why the rule was there, they would hack and force up phlegm unmasked because now they were allowed to. Like students who would say God bless you during grade school standardized tests because you weren't supposed to talk, but no one was going to say you couldn't say God bless you. I'm not talking about those people. I still judge them. I still don't like them. But they're not required to wear a mask indoors. That's their context. That's their reason. Where I am, you don't have to wear a mask indoors, but you still have to wear a mask on trams. You can read that the rule is still in place whenever you look up and see your tram is coming. This is where the Erklärungsnot comes in. Now, I've talked about masks in general before. I've talked about how it's a good rule that doesn't infringe on your liberties, and in fact helps the community with only the mildest possible inconvenience to the individual. An inconvenience that is frankly nothing compared to the alternative. I've already said that people who don't wear masks are people who one day won't care about you, won't care if you live or die, would sacrifice your existence to avoid an almost unnoticeable annoyance. I'm not here to nitpick, to sink that dagger in any further. I'm not here to invoke forced outrage like people who scour celebrities' old tweets to find a single incriminating joke that isn't really even offensive, it's just in bad taste. I'm not scraping the bottom of the barrel to cancel James Gunn, is what I'm saying. I'm also not trying to cathartically blow off some steam in an act of targeted righteousness, like when my dad would shout at someone looking at their phone during a movie, even though his shout was more disruptive and problematic than the admittedly disruptive phone lighting up in the dark. Hell, I've stopped yelling at people on the tram for not wearing masks, not because I suddenly care about not getting stabbed, but because there's just too many of them. And I'm already so tired. What I mean to say is, this isn't about me. This is, and always has been, about coronavirus. How do we know coronavirus is still a big problem? It's been a couple years. Surely it's tuckered itself out by now. Well, for one, people are still getting sick and dying from it every day. On June 22nd, 2022, over 1,500 people died from COVID, according to worldmeters.info. And that's just one day. Just deaths. Just in the U.S. According to the same site, on the same day, there were only 105 new deaths in Germany, but almost 120,000 new cases. A U.S. federal judge struck down mask mandates for airlines. Suddenly, 14,000 flights are canceled because of staff shortages just like way back when. Plus, new mutations may mean we have to start all over with testing and shots, which only happens if people keep getting infected. So yes, COVID is still a big fucking problem. It's been our life for several years. 
I've taught and worked with kids who have only known school and life in a COVID pandemic. So if you're on a tram, where the rule is you're supposed to wear a mask, and you still don't wear a mask, you're a piece of shit. Your comfort is worth more to you than the lives of the elderly, the young, the immunocompromised, the impoverished, the unlucky. That's clear as day. Which, today, is pretty clear. But what about those who kind of wear their masks? Who have the straps on but keep it below their chin so they're essentially not wearing the mask? Or who wear the mask but keep it below their nose, defeating a big fucking chunk of the purpose of wearing a fucking mask during a fucking airborne pandemic? Think about it for a second. If you wear a mask properly, you care. For selfish or selfless reasons, one way or another, you care. If you wear no mask, you don't care. Nothing you say will make it okay that you're not wearing a mask on a tram. You cannot explain this away. It is a proper not. But if you have a mask, and it's on your face, but you choose not to use the mask for its one intended purpose, that's even worse. You have the ability to do good. You are in a position where it is easier to do good than not do good. And you choose not to do good. That is the failure of humanity. If you have a mask around your ears, and you choose to cover your mouth but not your nose with it, you are saying that you know the rules, you understand why masks are important, you are fully cognizant of the risks, and who isn't already aware of why masks are important? And yet you put unfogged glasses or not having to smell your own rancid breath above the safety of others. If you wear a mask around your ears and you don't even put it over your mouth, it's either so you can pull it up so you don't get fined, not that anyone is fining you for this, or some bizarre reason that, again, puts your comfort above the lives of others. You pull the mask down for a drink or a snack? Well, you're not supposed to eat or drink on the tram, but let's say you need a drink, or you'll die of thirst, or you need some candy for your blood sugar because you're hypoglycemic or... hyper... I don't know. My doctor said I have high blood sugar, but... It was in German, and I don't understand the medical field, but my point is made. If you pulled your mask down and didn't pull it back up, then again, you understand its importance and ignore it anyway. And going back to pulling it up quickly so you don't get fined. What are you, a baby? You're like my dad, who never wore a seatbelt because he didn't like the government telling him what to do. And whenever he saw a cop, he would pull the seatbelt down so it looked kind of like he was wearing his seatbelt. Which means not only are you an asshole, but you're also a coward. If you keep your mask down for easy access in case ticket checkers come on board, then you're willing to risk the death of innocence to prove whatever point is going on in your gobbled brain, but you're not willing to pay a fine to prove the point. You want others to sacrifice for your ideals. You get your moral high ground as you yurtle the turtle over people whose only crime was needing to get to work. These people have no excuse. There is no explanation to justify their actions. Nothing they say or do can provide a good enough reason for a half-assed mask. That explanation poverty, that corruption of the mind in which the good is seen and actively ignored without any valid reason. That is a true Erklärungsnot. At this point, I wanted to move on to the next topic, 
switching over to the U.S., talking about politicians who vote against things which, no matter their morals, are wholly inexcusable when it comes to helping people. But this is a minisode, and I want to at least keep to that in theory, so here's hoping I cut out enough. Because I still wanted to talk about basic gun control laws, basic regulations to make life literally livable, basic ideas about helping the environment or fixing the healthcare debacle that gets shut down for no excusable reason. Corruption and bribes are not a valid reason to continue to harm innocent people. You really think the economy is more important than the environment? Okay, state your points. Make your case. You better have real reasons for us to discuss, and not just because you're an oligarch in control of American coal. You really think guns make us safer? State your case. Argue your cause. Explain why, if good guys with guns are what we need, guns weren't allowed at the NRA convention, where former president and authoritarian criminal scum-guzzle Trump made an appearance. Explain Uvalde. Explain dead children. Make your case. Explain yourself. Because if your only arguments can be explained away in rational discourse, then your only explanation is corruption. And that corruption of the wallet, in which the bad is seen and actively promoted without any valid reason, is a true Eklerungsnot. Think about the ride I offered to that woman all those years ago. Considering the context, I realized my mistake even despite my genuinely good intentions, and I learned from it. If I never considered the context, if I never showed empathy, never thought of what she might be thinking, that's pretty shitty. But if I considered the context, understood to a certain degree all the reasons she would never say yes to such an offer, and I kept offering to pick up more strange women in my car as it got dark, Think about how much more fucked that is. Think about how much more inexcusable that would be. Think about how masks don't work if people don't use them, and how they also don't work if people don't use them correctly. Think about how discourse doesn't work if we're not actually having a discussion, if you're pretending to be noble with your words, but your actions prove your ignoble intentions. Think about how much worse that is, because you know what is good, and yet you don't do it. A person not wearing a mask has no context. They don't care what your situation is, they just care about theirs. A person almost wearing a mask understands the consequences of their actions. They have the context. And they choose to ignore it. If context does not matter for another person, that person's context should not matter to you. Remember that the next time you see someone doing something impossibly mean, woefully evil, unconscionably selfish, if your life is worth less than an ideal they won't stand up for, or a talking point to replay come election day, or a subsidized steak dinner, or the chance to get rid of safe abortions, or LGBTQ rights, or interracial marriage, or the pathetically minute acts of empathy already precariously balancing on a razor's edge. If, for whatever reason, your life does not matter to someone else with or without context, do not delude yourself into thinking that more context will change anything. The problem is not you. 
You are not the problem. The problem is those with no excuse for the horrid things they do. That is an Erklärungsnot. That can never be forgiven. I don't want to end this on a downer, so here's a quick reminder that Rush Limbaugh is dead. I remembered that a couple days ago, and that put a big smile on my face. So, just trying to pay it forward. You know, pay it forward. Like that Haley Joel Osment movie. No, not the one where he sees dead people, or the one where he's a stand-in for Steven Spielberg's obsession with bad parents. No, the one where he gets stabbed and works alongside alleged sex criminal Kevin Spacey. Aww. Now it's a downer again. Special thanks to PoFan for helping us compose our theme music. We'll get back to our regular episodes soon. In the meantime, thanks for being German with me. Check us out on Twitter at NotThatGerman or our NotThatGerman NotThatFanClub Facebook page for updates, to try and answer our hints, or maybe just to see cool stuff. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and spread the word. And we'll see you next time. Tschüss! Das passt.